I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl. And I'm Esther Ikoro, And we're the hosts of the Honest Field Guide podcast. Entrepreneurship is no joke. The journey is full of anticipation, failure, hope, and disappointment. You'll make money and be totally broke at the same time. The Honest Field Guide podcast tells you the truth. We know being an entrepreneur is crazy hard and you will sometimes cry dinner. Listen in to be inspired, laugh, and learn how to really thrive on your business journey. Hey, Ginger. Hey, Esther. How's it going? It's going great. It's going great. You know, it's it's Chicago, you know, post, yeah. post everything. <laughs> and... There's a lot going on in Chicago right now. Um, I mean, it's 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 an, a hopeful time. You know, we have some amazing protests happening, and it, they're peaceful. People are calm, and luckily in Chicago, we have uh, very strong, you know, comfortable, confident leadership, and everyone yeah. is keeping themselves together. No one's getting hurt from the protests, and the small businesses in Chicago, you know. I don't know what the percentage is, but some of the small businesses are, you know, cheering on the protesters and even some of the looters and some of them are not, you know, it's, it's, it's like, we're all over the place in Chicago. How about you? What's going on there? And what's happening in Indiana? Um, Well, uh, first of all, let me just say, it's a really interesting time for crisis management (laughs) and all of the things that we didn't find out during the election we're learning in this period. So (laughs) you're really beginning to see people use technology in amazing ways. There are Google Docs floating around of resources and people are there's just... There's like Google Docs <laughs> fly, floating around everywhere. Yeah, there are people... Are, I've never seen people use Google Drive so much in my life. Yeah. Just tweeting <laughs> Google Docs and tweeting spreadsheets. Just regular people. Just like, I made this. It has like 600 cells on it. I'm like, wow, <laughs> there are 80 people on here right now. <laughs> and no one has editing access. Here in somewhat sunny Indiana, the only thing that has really happened is there was a, a really um, great turnout at a protest mm-hmm. um, by the police station. It's always interesting to, to watch the police faces as people are protesting. <laughs> you just, it, it's peaceful, but they have to read all the signs and it's just, it's like when celebrities read bad tweets about them. <laughs> except you're there in front of you. But here, the only thing that happened is that they're very heavily guarding the outlet mall because if they get into that Ralph Lauren, Lord have mercy if they get into into J. Crew, if they get into Tommy Hilfiger. It it also raises some interesting questions from a business perspective of what it takes to affect change because we're always talking about money here and how really the way that you understand how to affect change is access to finances. And so there's some really interesting articles when you look back at peer-reviewed papers and case studies when they talk about the role that looting can and sometimes does play in creating change in an ecosystem because at the end of the day, the money controls everything. So it's interesting to see that taking place in some way, shape, or form in this dystopian reality that we are living in right now. I never thought I'd live to see it. I mean, I, I always knew there was going to be a revolution. I just wasn't expecting it to happen this soon and related to this kind of thing. I mean, literally, I, my kids grow up knowing there's going to be a revolution. It's going to be the people <laughs> against the powerful. We're all going to rise up around the world. Ooh. I come 
let me just say this. I I absolutely love being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. It's like my favorite thing. I mean, I, and I'm not really an entrepreneur anymore, right? I'm a business. I have a company. I'm so grateful you work for my company and we have amazing clients. They're huge, wonderful clients. We have some smaller clients and we do great work here. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm actually, I'm questioning entrepreneurship. This is a pandemic. So many people have lost so much stuff, right? I mean, businesses yeah. went, were gone overnight. Boom. Everything shut down. Everything stopped. I mean, in 2020, even for me, 2020 was like going to be my year along with other people. Like, you know, you're like, you have this great business. You're like, 2020, it's going to be the best. Like yeah. I built Forget everything. About the six pack. We you got know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like last, last two quarters of 2019, I was like killing it. And like now 2020, I'm like ready to hit the ground running. And there was other businesses that were the same way, you know? And then the floor fell. And I mean, I started my company in 1997. So I've been through really three major recessions with the, the, the largest one since now was in 20, was in 2007, right before the lovely and wonderful President Barack Obama got elected. This one is very different, right? I mean, this is like the, I don't even, this is, this is horrific. This is a horrible environment at so many levels. And what's happened in the United States has made it even worse. And all the world is looking at us and looking and wondering what's happening. I mean, what about you, Esther? Do you still believe in entrepreneurship? I mean, do you like, and, and especially for women, like, what do you, what do you think about women in entrepreneurship? Because we're the ones that were working off our kitchen tables and now we don't have a kitchen table. I mean, when have we ever been able to fathom a world where people couldn't physically go places? I mean, when it comes to deciding on the business model that you're going to choose, you never factored in what if people can't leave their home. (laughs) It's really not funny, but... (laughs) It's not. I mean, but But, you know, you kind of have to laugh to keep from crying. I don't know what entrepreneurship looks like. I think that we're finding out. It's This is a moment where everything that we've worked towards or have worked under the guise of or under the rules of is completely are completely different on top of the fact that we are absolutely in a state of civil unrest. So there are a lot of needs that are coming to light. Entrepreneurs have a common thread. They have a relationship with each other. They know they know each other. They recognize each other when they meet. It's almost a universal language. And I mean, this is a really great time. And, you know, our guest today is actually an entrepreneurship expert, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah. we got the perfect guy, the perfect guy on the show to talk about entrepreneurship. Talal Rafi is a renowned Sri Lankan entrepreneur. He is the co-founder of the co-working spaces company HubPoint. He's also an international consultant specializing in corporate innovation, digital marketing, and brand strategy, as well as entrepreneurship development. Talal works for the USAID project you lead as an entrepreneurship specialist and is an industry expert under the World Bank's AHEAD project with Moratuva University. He is also on the board of directors of the Kauffman Foundation's Global Entrepreneurship Network in Sri Lanka and is a contributor to Forbes. Talal is a leading advocate for the concept of remote working. Welcome, Talal. Welcome, Talal. Thank you for having me, Ginger and Esther. Great being here. I am really excited to have you. I first found you, of course, on my very favorite platform of all time, LinkedIn. Okay, LinkedIn is the best. And it's even more the best right now because we are working from home, remote working, Things are shut down and LinkedIn has been the only place that I can connect with people now from all over the world. I mean, my, I don't know about you, but my profile has completely blown up. Has your profile blown up on LinkedIn? Yeah. 
a lot of people are starting to use it, uh, especially during these times, there's a huge spike on it. So in our country, LinkedIn was always like something big here, equally, <laughs> other than because there you had like a core crowd which never used Facebook or Instagram, but was always on LinkedIn to keep in touch. Like, uh, for example, even in my office, half the people don't use Facebook or Instagram. They like to be more professional and they want to be on LinkedIn. So <laughs> they even uh, make the account verified by paying $50 a month, but you never see them on any other social media. So, I mean, LinkedIn is like really picking up. There you go, Esther. Why do you think that is? I think like uh, the world is like moving, becoming more professional, I would say. Like, you know, they see like, even now the younger generation, it's not like what it was 10 years ago. Now the job job markets are down, like it's a tougher environment. So everybody like, as soon as you're out of college, they feel like they have to be like on the run. You have to be competitive or you'll get kicked out. Like, it's like uh, something like in India, you see them like very competitive because in India, they allow like, you can get a degree, you can get a master's, everything is free. So everyone there is educated, but then there are very few jobs. So you find them like very competitive and when they migrate to the US, you'll see like Silicon Valley, half of it is like Indians. <laughs> and even like all the top companies like Google, Microsoft, Pepsi, they're all being taken over by them. That's because it's not that they are better than anybody, but it's because they were put in a very highly competitive environment back in their country. So when they come abroad and it's like more relaxed, they easily come up onto the top. Anyway, that's my theory. <laughs> I think that's a great theory. Were your parents entrepreneurs? Yes. Uh, actually, my not just my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great... I mean, throughout, whether it's on my father's side or my mother's side, I've had... I've, we've never really had anybody working nine to five. It was always entrepreneurs. So I came from a very business-minded family. So it was like entrepreneurship was always in it in the family bloodline. But, uh, but I would say that uh, the culture here is changing a lot. Like uh, those days, it was okay to be an entrepreneur. But now like, you know, the parents thing is, even though my parents were entrepreneurs, they are more like wanting the children to get settled, you know, get a good job, go that way. So now it's entrepreneurship is like the, the culture has like slightly among the older generation they look at entrepreneurship as more risk oriented. So, but among the younger generations, it's like blowing up big time, like going up. Can I ask you, you grew up with generations of entrepreneurs, right? And, and I, there's actually two questions I have. One, how do you define entrepreneurship in the context of how you grew up? And two, when you say you, you're, from a gener- you're from generations of entrepreneurs, what did your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles do? Entrepreneurship is all about leadership, you know? It's like one thing to be, you know, I can be made CEO of Google, but then I'm just working there. You know, if things go wrong, worst case, I might get bad media publicity, but I can either go to join another company if I'm lucky, or I can get all the pay, you know, I'm well paid, I go home and sit. But then to be Larry Page is a totally different thing. He is the leader. If things go wrong, it's on his shoulders. He has like, tens of thousands of people working for him. They depend on him. So it's like, it's about leadership, you know, and courage to be an entrepreneur. Like you can be the CEO, that's a different thing. But then being the chairman, 
is a totally different. So I see entrepreneurship as risk-taking, courageous, and leadership. So it's, I would say it's not for everyone, but then there are people, it's just made for them. My family, uh, my great-grandfather was into, uh, he was educated and he was a surveyor, but then he went into uh, constructions. So he was taking on like government projects, like going to real estate. And then uh, my grandfather, you know, he went into like uh, rice mills and my father was into electronics. So though like uh, each of their fathers had businesses uh, through my family, it's like the new generation started something new. It was always something uh, new and they started on their own. So it's not really like taking on the family thing, but it's like coming up with something new. So even me, uh, me and my brothers, we started uh, a digital marketing firm first. And then with uh, another partner, we started uh, one of Sri Lanka's, we can even say formally, the first co-working space. So, so it was like, uh, we just had to start something new. And uh, the thing we look at is like, we always want to bring something that will solve issues in society. So digital marketing in 2015, it was something that was coming up. A lot of people needed to market themselves. You mentioned marketing and, and, you know, building a digital marketing firm. Did you go to school for any of this? What, what was your focus when you went to school? What I did was business management. But I would say that uh, to start this digital marketing firm, we didn't like take any education or anything. It's just like based on our experience. Because most of the corporations were, I would say, like it was run by older generation who didn't have that much knowledge about social media. So... It said that uh, whenever you talk about social media, one thing is like they reject, uh, they don't want to get into it because they don't understand it. And they're heavily biased towards traditional media because they don't use social media. So for us, like back at that time, like what we had, like by using Facebook, Instagram, it was enough to do all the work. So we didn't actually, like, it's always like, like Richard Branson says, when you're given an opportunity, don't say no, just Start doing it and then you'll learn everything on the way. <laughs> what is the culture around remote working where you are? Is it, How far along is it? Is it, some, is it something that people think fondly of or is it something that people still have some hurdles to maybe accepting? It's like um, when it comes to remote working, even before the COVID crisis, I would say like uh, with the young generation, like, like in Silicon Valley, even in Sri Lanka, we have like a very young, like uh, a tech-oriented uh, sector of young individuals. Most of the companies, according to a study, they found that they were doing remote working because the younger generation does not believe in like, you know, micromanaging people. Does the government there support entrepreneurship really well? Yeah, uh, the government recently, like uh, in the last few years, they have put a real push on entrepreneurship. They wanted to come up because when you compare it with like uh, other countries in the region, like Thailand or Vietnam, entrepreneurship stands at uh, 20%. But in Sri Lanka, it's still at 3%. So the formal numbers are very uh, low because uh, generally in the country, it's like uh, people are more risk averse and they don't look at entrepreneurship. It's like the parents always encourage their children to get into education. But uh, on a general scale, 
through my work, through my studies, I would say that uh, it's more like uh, in a school, the most educated go on to get jobs. It's mostly like people who don't do well get into entrepreneurship. That's how it's been. But now it's like changing. Now, now like uh, the younger generation, even the very best, like coming out of good universities, they still want to do it. So there is a change and the government also needs because what I say is um, because I've also like been on a lot of committees where we talk about uh, entrepreneurship and give our recommendations to the government. So what I say is like uh, when uh, you want to get rid of unemployment, uh, create an entrepreneur because the, when you create one entrepreneur, you're reducing your unemployment figure by one. And not only that, if uh, you're lucky, he's going to create five or 10 jobs. So he's going to bring it down by another 10. So, so to re- reduce, like to get 100,000 people employed, you just create another 10,000 entrepreneurs. So that is the only way to like, and also mm, it's like when we say uh, it's a low figure in Sri Lanka, like 3% are formal entrepreneurs. These 3%, their taxes uh, and uh, taxes of their employees are the ones that's sustaining the entire country. So we have to like increase the amount, like it's too much of a burden for them. So they are going out there, (coughs) taking their risk, like putting their personal assets online to start a business. And on top of that, they're expected to pay for the balance 97% of the population, which is absolutely unfair. So that's what I've been saying. Like, you know, the government too has uh, started a lot of initiatives, uh, some like giving loans, other facilities like, there is talk of like bringing in incubators, but still there is a lot to be done. But there was a new government, which is uh, very promising, but because of the virus, I think everything's going to get delayed. But after that, we might start on it. And uh, there is another project as well, which is uh, done by the government, by the president's secretariat uh, uh, through the World Bank, for which uh, it's being delayed. But if it's done well, I would be going in as a consultant. So there they're looking at like creating incubators in key areas around Sri Lanka. So they want to get like young people, not just Colombo. Colombo, uh, when you come to Sri Lanka, it's like Colombo is more advanced and then the rest of the country is like a bit behind. So what we want to do is like we want to create incubators outside as well. So, you know, like when you create uh, a wealthy, another wealthy city, like all the community around them will get prosperous so so this is an an initiative which i hope to work on what trends have you seen in the types of businesses that people are opening over here, we see a trend of people opening a lot of digital businesses, but we also see people opening things like apparel companies and teas and spices and all sorts of different industries are getting the spark of entrepreneurship. Is there a trend or do you see it pretty pretty diverse in the type of businesses people are creating? I see it as uh, pretty diverse at the moment. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, like they still start uh, traditional businesses. But mm-hmm. uh, there is like a huge rise in uh, the tech sector because... Um, I'm also, as an industry expert at the Morotu University, which is the leading tech university. Uh, so I'm advising uh, on an incubator, which has like a lot of promising uh, startups. 
like uh, working on uh, virtual reality, AI, and even uh, trying to, uh, there's like a project which uh, through their algorithms, they are able to like control traffic lights uh, by studying. So these are really like very promising things. So I would say that uh, there is more focus towards that. And I see, uh, though it's very even and diverse, like entrepreneurs always still it's an like uh, the traditional idea of starting a restaurant or a textile retail shop. But uh, this is like booming. And this is what I feel like will really uh, bring the wealth in. Because even in the US, if you compare like uh, in the early 2000s, it was always about the huge oil companies, which were the by market capitalization, the Exxon and the others. But now the, none of them are like, I mean, they're like six or seven. It's the Amazons and the Apples, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. They are the dominant. So I feel like uh, though we are a bit behind, uh, the tech companies are soon to like catch on because uh, with this whole gig economy coming up, like uh, we have a similar thing to Uber, like companies similar to Amazon. These are the things that are going to benefit. And uh, since it's... uh, one thing, I I feel like they are quite big, but because the country is small and the capital needed is already, um, they get it from other sources, they, I don't see a need for them to like go to the stock exchange. So they are, that's why we don't see their market capitalization value. But if uh, But I would say that very soon that would be happening. I think that right now we're in very difficult times and the decimation of small businesses and entrepreneurs and restaurant owners and small shops and people that were just making just enough money to live and survive. It's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really tough time and and you have to acknowledge that you can be optimistic, but the reality is that people all over the world, but in particular, particular in the United States, there is no safety net. There is no healthcare. Um, You know, there's no uh, um, public assistance for everyone And there's people that are literally out of food in the United States right now. And there has always been people out of food in the United States, but now it's a little bit more intense. So I feel like I still go back to my original question. I I do question entrepreneurship in an environment where there is no safety net, okay? So I think that a lot of us were working under a false construct, believing that we could pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make it in America. And well, now we see what it really takes to make it in America, and we've sort of been, I, I almost want to say it's a bait and switch because I don't think everybody can make it in America, especially when you don't have basic fundamental needs being met. Um, so I, I, I actually, I think that this is, this is a, a little bit of a little bit of a reckoning for some people that are entrepreneurs, especially women entrepreneurs that um, were counting on the money they were getting and now they can't bring the money into their families to, to supplement the income that their husbands were making if they're married or even if they're not. Um, they just don't have that that extra room now to keep going or to establish. And there's women that started a business the last quarter and literally, you know, the middle of January, suddenly they're like, oh my God, I can't open my doors anymore because the city of Chicago shut down, for example, or New York. So um, it's a time to really ask a real legitimate question if if the promise of entrepreneurship is sustainable in an environment of complete uncertainty and instability. For, for the indefinite time. And, I, and that's kind of, and especially for women that are already are dealing with an extraordinary 
deficits at every single level you can possibly think of, right? Um, And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was excited to talk to you because I feel like you had some really good points that have been said over and over and over again, but you're also from a cultural experience that um, is not traditionally um, focused on helping women get financial independence. What one thing I keep telling people during this crisis is a lot of people are very pessimistic. Uh, just look at the Spanish flu. Uh, just It happened after the First World War. 50 million people close died. 500 million people, that's like one third of the world's population was infected. And that had a much higher fatality rate than Corona. And uh, within five years, Henry Ford was turning out cars. You know? <laughs> And uh, we had a, and within ten years we had the biggest run on Wall Street. So y'all had the biggest run on Wall Street. So I don't see why y'all should be worried about. We should be worried about Corona. So. Okay, that's an interesting thought because I really do think that scarcity is the mother of yes. innovation. Now, when you turn a corner in history, when something happens and forces you, a lot of people are going to hit that corner and fall flat on their face. Who knows? The point is that we don't know what's around the corner. Looking back in history, you can be like, yeah, that happened. And I'm sure at the time when people were dropping dead from the Spanish flu, they were like, (laughs) I have a wagon. I don't know what you're talking about. Four horsepower. I don't know what that means. This is a great time, Talal, to talk about our closing segment, which is all about being tech-obsessed. And, you know, you are um, an innovator. You believe in entrepreneurship and tech innovation. What's the one piece of creative technology you'd like to see come to fruition that could change the world? What uh, I would say, having something like uh, a virtual reality concept where you can, uh, for tourism, like you want to, go and visit a certain country or a place. And because of COVID, I don't think you can physically go there, but to experience it, at least like a preview. So a lot of countries can use this like a trailer to attract people in even. Uh, A VR for destinations, that would be one idea that I would look forward to. What was the last thing that you saw or heard about technology that surprised you or made you extremely happy? One thing that made me happy was uh, the advent of like Google Meet, Zoom. Even before Corona, I was a big advocate for remote working. So genuinely, that's what made me happy. Like all the tools coming out and people using it. And when I heard news that uh, Zoom or Microsoft, I don't remember the figures exactly, reached some 12 million users. So that was like really good news for me. What I want to see come to fruition is there needs to be a way for people to have a live concert experience without going to the concert. And there needs to be a way for musicians to be able to play in real time and not have to have the interference of delays and internet connectivity problems. Like right now, if we, if we can't, if we can't get concerts back going and if we can't get live shows and we have musicians like five and six performers or even a full orchestra 
and they need to be performing from home, there's no way to do that right now. There is nothing right now that's available that gives people equal access to technology and strong, consistent, solid bandwidth for them to play in real time live. Talal, if you could ask one thing from the world's most powerful brands, and I'm going to name a few, you don't have to come up with them all, but if you had to ask something from Nike or Target or Apple or Amazon or Google, what would it be? Pick one, pick them all. I would have liked it if uh, Steve Jobs was here right now, but uh, to get into the electric car business, like that would be one thing because I've always been... Uh, a campaigner for climate change and uh, people are still going to travel even after Corona. But if Apple puts the electric car on, maybe like a tiny, like 10% of the high end who would buy it, but then it's going to bring in another whole set of producers to get in because already uh, Elon Musk is doing it, but it's like still a bit of high end and Apple just has to make it mainstream, like how Jobs made the touchscreen phone or the iPad. So that would be one thing from the world's uh, best brand. Because I feel like maybe I don't necessarily think Apple would be the best company to do it, but they have the brand power and they have the cult-like followers to get the thing done. So Talal, what's the best way for people to reach you? Uh, The best way to reach me would be uh, through LinkedIn. I'm always connected there. And uh, I'm on Forbes uh, Business Council. And uh, my recent article was on why women entrepreneurs are critical to economic growth. And uh, I'm writing another one as well very soon. So be connected. Thanks. Wow. This has been an amazing conversation, Talal. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I'm Esther. I'm Jinja. I'm Talal. It was great being on the show. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time. The Honest Fuel Guide podcast is produced by Burke Creative, written and created by Jinja Birkenbuehl and Esther Coro. The podcast is recorded in the innovation and technology capital of the Midwest, Chicago, at Stomping Ground Studios in Ukrainian Village. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carroll. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only and only represent the views of Ginger Birkenbuehl and Esther Ikora. E.